the message from Connection Community Church for Sunday, September 12, 2010. Built to Last Finances. Good morning, Connection Church. I'm Alan Jones. And I'm Carrie Jones. And we're two sinners who've been saved by God's grace in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Holy God, thanks for a glorious day. Thanks for the rain. We sure needed it. (laughs) Reminds us that uh, it takes rain to grow. For everything to grow, it takes water. And for us to grow, it takes you. Thanks for calling us together today. We pray that our time here in your word that we will grow in what you call us to do and to be. We will grow in our relationship with you and one another with ourselves. It's in Christ and your Holy Spirit we pray and all Connection Church said, Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to week two of our message series called Built to Last. Built to Last. Now, last week we talked about friendships that are built to last. This week, we'll be looking at what Scripture says about finances that are there for the long run, that go the distance, that are built to last. Now, up front, we want to offer a kind of a disclaimer that we're very aware that no matter how much planning you've done or no matter how much savings we accumulate or how frugal we we are, there are times when circumstances can bring about... uh, real destruction to our financial situation, no matter how much planning we've done. We're aware of that. Our purpose today is to not add to the challenges that some of you may already be uh, facing, but to just look at some biblical principles that hopefully will help all of us to, uh, to structure finances that are built to last in our futures. Okay, so let's get started. There's a guy named Paul Williams, and he wrote the ebook Contentment in Wealth. And he shares on his blog called Provident Planning that he had heard that there are over 2,000 Bible verses about finances. Well, he was kind of curious about this, being a financial planner and a Christian. He decided to see how many of those 2,000 verses dealt with personal finance. Guess what he found? All but four. 1,196 verses that he found dealt with personal finance. Okay, so a lot of, and in addition, a lot of what we're going to be sharing today, we're going to take from the participants' workbook for the freed up financial living class. That's a class that helps people to, to uh, from a biblical standpoint, get their finances in order. We use it here. We offer that class here at church. In fact, there's one coming up uh, 26th, I think, of uh, September, the end of the month, and you can sign up for that out in the lobby. That's enough of the ad for that, but that's an important class and it might be beneficial to you. A lot of what we're doing today comes from that. Anyway, the authors of that workbook, Dick Towner and John Toffelin, they're the authors. They share this in the workbook, and this is really an important concept for us to get down here. Our relationship to money has an incredible amount to do with our relationship to God. Say that with me, will you? Our relationship to money has an incredible amount to do with our relationship to God. And Ben Patterson shares that there's no such thing as being right with God and being wrong with money. Mm. 
So our challenge is that money can be one of the most powerful forces in our lives, and as a result, money and possessions, our finances, are at the heart of the issues many of us face today on a daily basis, what our nation is facing, in fact, what the world is facing at this point in time. And so one of our biggest challenges is that money can become our chief rival God. That's a little g God. Money can become our chief rival God. A couple weeks ago, we looked at a scripture that told us it's the first commandment that God gives us, that we shall have no other idols. And God is primo, God is number one. And yet, and yet, all too often, money climbs up that ladder and maybe even overtakes God. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Wherever your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will also be. And then a little bit later in that scripture, you cannot serve both God and money. And one more from 2 Timothy. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now notice, it's not that money is evil, but what is the evil part? The love. Loving money is the root of evil. So money is such a powerful force in our lives then that it can rival God for that number one position. A lot of that, that power that money has comes from the culture that we find ourselves in. We're bombarded constantly with, with advertising and with uh, everything around us to get and to spend, to spend and to get. Out with the old, in with the new. New and improved. You know, it used to be bigger is better. Now, electronically, it seems smaller is better, except for a flat screen TV. That's still, that's still bigger, better, right? Okay, anyway, yeah, right. anyway, keep dreaming. Yeah, keep anyway, dreaming. we need to be careful because the culture we're in has, has such a great pull on us in this area, and, and it's often, it does it kind of under the radar, and we don't even realize that we're being drawn in. That's, that's the idea, is that when you don't realize it, you can't put your defenses up against it. And so the pull of culture has become so strong that some myths have occurred, things that we've kind of bought into, cultural financial myths that if, if we're not careful, we just get caught. Here are three of those myths. First of all, things bring happiness. Number two, debt is expected and unavoidable. And number three, dun, 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 money solves problems. Okay, so we're going to take a couple of minutes and kind of debunk these myths. First, the first myth is things bring happiness. Hmm. Well, maybe uh, things that may bring temporary happiness or appear to bring happiness, but uh, I don't think things can really truly bring... If you're not happy, things aren't going to make you happy. I remember we, in, we were in Seaford, we built this great house. It was large enough room for all the kids and everything. And a friend said, I, I, I think that house is really going to make you happy. And I thought that was really strange because if I wasn't happy, that house wasn't going to make me happy. 
it, it wasn't going to do that. And so we've got to be careful because happiness is actually just a temporary thing. Happiness kind of goes like this, doesn't it? It's, it's an emotional thing. It's up and it's down. And if you need things to make you happy, then to keep you happy, you're going to need more and more and more things to keep you happy, happy, happy. Amen? Amen. And, and, and the thing is, is in Scripture, we are never promised happiness. Jesus never said, come here, boys, I came to bring you happiness. You won't read that. It's not in there. What he says is, I came to bring you life and bring it to the fullest. And the life that he brings is not a life of necessarily happiness, but it's a life of joy, and there's a big difference. Joy is a state of being. It's a state of being. It's not dependent on what we have or what we should have or, or where we are or, or even who we're with. It's not dependent on those things. It is absolutely dependent on our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus brings when Jesus comes into our heart is this state of being called joy. So we looked up in the Bible, you know, how much joy compared to happiness is in there. And you know it's 10 to 1. Joy 10, happy 1. God is so much more concerned about our state of being, the state of our heart, and that's about joy, than our happiness. Let's take a look at what Paul says, Acts chapter 20. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. Say it with me. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Mm. It is. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Okay, myth number two. Debt is expected and unavoidable. We live in a culture where where, uh, borrowing money, credit, is like the thing. I mean, we're in like the credit capital of the universe here, right? I mean, Delaware's the bank guy, and this is not meant to step on any toes. Uh, banking is, is not a bad thing. Uh, credit and lending is not necessarily a bad thing if we do it judiciously, but we've got to be cautious because we're bombarded with b- lend, b- uh, borrow and buy, borrow and buy, borrow and buy. I can't tell you how, and I'm sure you have the same thing, your mailbox probably daily has one, two, three opportunities for another opportunity to get more money to... Uh, and. Yeah, when way back in our marriage, we borrowed some money to buy some furniture, and I'm horrible with due dates and stuff, and I always miss the due date. In other words, I was late every month. With You know what they did when it came Christmas time? They sent us a check in the mail for, I think it was $3,500. All we had to do was go to the bank and cash it to borrow another $3,500. I thought, isn't this ridiculous? I'm late every month with the payment. And <laughs> that's why I'm taking care of things that's right. now. <laughs> I'm late every month with the payment. Now, I didn't cash a check because I had a little bit of uh, willpower, but I'm late every month, and yet they're trying to lend me more money. You see, we have to be careful. Now, that doesn't mean all, all credit is bad. Most of us would have trouble uh, saving up a couple hundred thousand dollars or more to buy a house, and, and at the same time while we're paying rent on apartments. So, you know, some, some borrowing uh, would seem to make sense. If we do it judicially, the thing is, though, are we prudent in the house that we buy? Have we calculated how what we can really afford, especially if this and this and this happens, or did we listen to the person who wants to sell us as much house as possible and lend us as much money as possible and gives us this much when the truth is we should have been taking this much? In other words, have we been prudent in our choice of 
say house, so that we're prudent in our borrowing, so that we're looking to the long haul for the what-ifs that might come. Because the what-ifs do come, don't they? The what-ifs do come. Okay, myth number three. A little more money will solve all of my problems. Amen. Isn't that great to know? Well, I've said that before. I'm sure maybe you've said that too. But it's not true. It is simply not true. We can speak from experience. Back before we were in ministry, the years that we made the most money were the years that we managed that money the worst, the years that we ended up kind of in the worst financial place. Amen to that. Yeah. It's like a, I know of a family when we were in Seaford, uh, had some insurance with them, or had had, another agent was caring for them, and they, uh, they won the lottery. And this was a family that definitely could have used, they, they, it seemed to be very, they didn't handle their money very well, apparently. Anyway, they won the lottery. Well, every kid got a new car. Then, in a long story short, two years later, guess what financial position they were in? <laughs> exactly what they were in before, if not worse. Why? Because that money didn't solve their problems. They didn't learn how to handle it any better than they were handling it before the big payoff from the L-O-T-T-E-R-Y, because money doesn't solve problems. Zacchaeus was a rich little guy. He's originally, but he wasn't happy. And more money wasn't going to make him any happier. You know where he found joy? He found joy when he gave away what he had, when he returned of fourfold the, to the, the money that he had cheated people out of, and when he had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. When that became number one and money and everything else were further back in importance, that's where he found happiness, not in the cash that he had. Okay, so we've looked at some popular cultural myths. What do we do with this? Well, let's turn to the Bible and look at some biblical financial principles to keep in mind at all times. Here's the first one. Beware of idols. We preached about this a couple weeks ago. Beware of idols. Here's what the Apostle Paul shares in Romans about some people who knew God but neither glorified God or or gave thanks to God They claimed to be wise, but actually they became fools. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. They worshipped and served what? Created things rather than the creator. When money and what it can buy takes priority in our lives, we are in trouble because God needs to be first. God is a jealous God. God demands to be first. Second biblical principle, guard against greed. Can you say that with me? Guard against greed. Here's what Jesus shares in Luke 12, 15. This is the New Living Translation. Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Or how about Proverbs 30, verse 8? Again, New Living Translation. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. 
wow, what would happen if we prayed that every morning? It might be a little scary because, you know, sometimes we have wants and desires that are beyond our basic needs. But what if we said, God, take care of my needs? Or maybe the simplest is right there in the Lord's Prayer. Say it with me, will you? Give us each day our daily bread. Say it again. Give us each day our daily bread. Remember out in the desert, the manna? You got this much for this day. Tomorrow you would get tomorrow's. The ne- oh, yeah, you got a double portion of the day before the Sabbath because you weren't going to gather it up on Sabbath because you were supposed to rest, right? Boom, measured out. You got just what you needed. And we make that prayer. Whoa, isn't that interesting? In other words, Lord, please give me what I need. Please help me not to be envious of what you have given those around me. And please help me not to be greedy with what you have given to me. So beware of idols, guard against greed, and the third biblical financial principle is be content. Be content. The opposite of greed and envy is contentment. And as Towner shares in in Freed Up, when we practice moderation and learn contentment, we become free. We become free to be generous and a blessing to others. Here's what Paul shares in Philippians chapter 4. I love this scripture. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Mm. Secret of being content is simply this, being happy with what God gives us and not constantly desiring what we do not have. See, because everything we have is God's, and God will supply our needs. Are we going to be happy with how God is taking care of that? If we are, contentment will occur. And if we remember this, as Scripture shares with us, it is more blessed to than to And so on one hand, we have the pull of culture, you know, this idea that money brings happiness, that possessions define us. The more we have, the more we should spend. And you might have seen this bumper sticker, the one who dies with the most toys wins. Mm. Mm. So on the one hand, you have the culture. On the other, we have the mind and heart of God. And what that means is God is in control, not us. He's got the whole world in his his hand. hand. You know, we sang it as kids, but it's true, isn't it? He's got the whole world in his hand, and that includes you and me, brother, in his hand. And sister. What we have, and this is the interesting thing is, because it's back to that credit thing, God just loans to us. He's not giving it to us at all. It's on loan. He's made us stewards of what he has because it's all his. Whether it's your job, your house, your car, your spouse, your kids, your health, whatever, it's God's and it's on loan to you for however long that might be. And, and the question is, are, you gonna, are we going to take good care of it? Are we going to take care of it like God would want us to? Are we going to uh, take care of what he's, what he's loaned us, what he's shared with us? Are we going to use it for God's glory rather than our own selfish 
enjoyment. And that whole thing, uh, the one with the most toys, uh, who dies with the most toys wins, remember this, that person still dies. That person still dies. It's, it's like the title of that book John Ortberg wrote a few years ago. When the game is over, it all goes back in the box. When the game's over, it all goes back in the box. And then all you really have to show for it is what you did with what God gave you. So what are you going to do with it? Are you going to pile up stuff for personal gain? Are you going to hoard it? Are you going to, you know, I'm not, we're not saying savings, a certain amount of savings isn't, that's very prudent. Are you going to keep it? Are you going to share it? Are you going to use it for God's glory or for personal whatever? Are you going to share God's love and God's stuff in a practical way to share the glory of God with those around you? And so what would happen if you talked to God about how God wanted you to spend, wants you to spend God's money, how God wants you to use God's things? Because everything we have is God, so it would just make sense to consult God in these matters. Hmm. When we moved up here, um, uh, we thought, okay, God's calling us up here. Uh, we looked at a house. I don't know. We, we looked at a lot of houses. We finally, we prayerfully settled on this one, and thank the Lord that's the one he directed us to because we, our house in Seaford didn't sell, didn't sell, didn't sell, didn't sell. And they held that lot for us much, much longer than they should have. They, they could have gotten rid of that 20 times, but they didn't. Thank the Lord. That was where we were supposed to be. And the house in Seaford, actually, it didn't sell for two years. Now, I'm not sure that's the uh, uh, great idea, but God had called us up here, and God gave us renters in Seaford to help offset that mortgage. We certainly couldn't cover two mortgages, you know, uh, in our circumstances. That wasn't going to happen, but God saw to that. But then we finally sold the house, and, man, we thought we were going to get a nice windfall because it had appreciated. I mean, we were going to get this much. Well, then this, well, then it was, <laughs> when we finally sold the house, <laughs> we got this much. And you know how much that was? <laughs> it was exactly the amount that we needed. No to, windfall. You know, no windfall, no, to cover what we needed to, for the house here. You see what I mean? It wasn't that 50 grand extra that we were going to do all kind of wonderful things. It was red. like a trade. Right. <laughs> no. God allowed us to move up here, kind of even Stephen, keep going and have the place to stay. You see? It, and it's so funny because I looked at that house some time ago. It's exactly the opposite in some ways of what we wanted. I look at someone and say, we wanted that or this. And I go, what's going on here? And then I realize, well, it's the house God gave us or is lending us for the time being. And, and when I do that, I go, well, then it's exactly what it's supposed to be. It, it might not be what I thought or we thought it was going to be, but it's exactly what God had in mind when God had the idea of moving us up here and putting us in a different house. Seek God in all things. We, we had to do this big time when we realized back in our early um, Christian years that tithing was part of God's plan for the money that God has loaned us. And we weren't really sure how this was wor- would work. That's giving 10% of each paycheck to the church. But God has been absolutely faithful ever since we started. But you've got to be careful because when you, when you go and say, God, what do you want me to do here? We, we were at a conference a 
I don't know, a month ago with the leadership team as a simulcast. And this simulcast is cool. It's going to be simulcast to countries all over the world, some countries that they don't have a huge amount of money, especially the pastors, and they're going to need help getting to the conference. And they said for just 50 bucks, you could help a, a pastor get to the conference. And we, I'm thinking, well, gosh, I'm sure we could do 50 bucks. We could sponsor it, maybe two. And the longer I'm sitting there, God's saying 500 and I'm going, no way, no way. And I, I knew when I shared with Carrie, she would say, what would you say? No, no way. way. Yeah. And, and so finally, I mean, it just keeps hammering. I finally said, hey, Carrie, uh, I just get bitten hit with 500. And she, <laughs> yeah. And then later on, I mean, we, it just was a, an amount that's a lot more than we would normally, you know, like I said, we'd normally sponsor maybe one or two. And it just, God just wouldn't let it go. I said, I hate to tell you this, but it's not, it's not going away. It's, you know, da, da, da. Long story short, we said, I don't know how we're going to make the tithe payment this month if we're making that. You see what I mean? It's, well, we wrote the check. When it came time for the tithe, well, we wrote that well, check actually, too, right? Well, actually, that was a couple days later, and I'm writing out the check, and Alan said, oh, so it worked. I said, I didn't look at the balance, Alan. <laughs> we're just writing it. We're just writing it. And I waited for about a week before I even looked. Yeah. And apparently it worked, because we obviously haven't missed a meal yet, and we're still, you know, in our house. And <laughs> That is true. Yeah, it's way true. Yeah. You know, the thing is, be careful with what we're sharing today, because we're saying, pray to God about how He wants you to use the stuff He's given you, especially the money. But the warning is, be careful, because when you do that, He might take you places, I guarantee He's going to take you to some places that you didn't plan on going. And he's going to have you writing some checks that you didn't plan on writing. But it's going to be okay. Because when God is in charge, it's okay. It's okay. We had that happen here in the church. Some of you might have been here a number of years ago when God visited that, like on a particular Sunday, that we needed to raise 48000 We even got the number, 48000 to help Koshi our pastor over in India, build a school. And it's like, Alan stands up and says, we need to raise 48000 I'm like, oh and we don't my do fundraisers. Golly, days. Okay. Usually. <laughs> Guess what? In six weeks, 48000 came in because that was God's idea and that was God's number. And so now, a thousand plus kids go to school in India uh, because we as a church... We're obedient to what God directed. And our church budget didn't suffer one bit from that. Speaking of our church budget, from the get-go, we were been called to give 10%, and actually we've raised it as much as 15% to missional things. In other words, we have been called to tithe. And there have been some times, especially recently, where things have been kind of tight. You all, I'm not telling you guys something you don't know. Things are tight. And it'd be real, cha- it'd be real challenging sometimes to say, well, why don't we, yeah, no, 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 we can't do that. That's got to come out first because that's what we're called to do. That's what we've been called to do as a church is to send that tithe and to send it, not, and it's not in-house, but to send it, help people out who need some help maybe in, the, in the, our church community or in the Middletown community or in the greater world community. And the thing is, we know that that's what we're called to do. And if we do what God calls us to do, 
things are going to be okay because we can't outgive God. We can't outgive God. And so, do you want finances, personal finances, that are built to last? Of course we do. And so, beware of material idols that we find so attractive that pull us away from God being first in our lives. Guard against greed and be content with what God has given you. And in all things financial, first and foremost, seek God's direction and seek God's strength and God's courage to do what God calls you to do. Big decision, small decision, seek God's help and what he wants you to do with his money, and it's all his, and with his stuff, because it's all his. So we would encourage each and every one of you, talk to God when it comes to those financial decisions. Talk to God, seek God's direction on what God would have you do. And again, realizing that God might very well take you in a direction that's very, very different from the direction that you thought that you were going to go. He may have a very different idea of what he wants you to do with his stuff than you thought you were going to do with his stuff. But again, that's okay. Because when we put God in charge of our finances, we've built a structure that's built to last. Amen? Let's pray. Holy God, (laughs) yeah, it's all yours. And uh, when the game's over, it all goes back in the box. Please help us to use the stuff you've given us, you've put on loan to us for your glory. Please help us to listen to you, to where you want us to, to, to spend your money and, and, and what you want us to do with the things that you've allowed us to uh, have stewardship of. I pray that you'll give each and every one of us the courage and to be faithful, even when that faithfulness sometimes seems goofy, seems crazy when we're having to step out. But please help us to be faithful to you and what you call us to do in all things, and especially in the finances that you've allowed us to have. It's in Christ and His Holy Spirit we pray. All Connection Church says, Amen. Thank you for taking part in sharing the message for this week. For more information about Connection Community Church, please visit our website at www.connectioncc.org. You can also reach our church offices at 302 378 7692. Connection Community Church, connecting people with Jesus and the life that He offers.